Project. Welcome to I Am My Passion Project, a companion of my digital magazine, Badass Silver Streak. I'm Lorna Nickel. I'm an artist, writer, graphic designer, thinker, a renaissance woman, if you will. This podcast is a way for me to give a voice to women over 50, like myself, a platform to discuss sexism, health and wellness, redefining beauty, and healing from betrayal trauma. Without further ado, let's dig in together and figure out ways to resist societal expectations while reimagining a world where mature women are made visible and empowered to become their own passion projects. Let's do this. So today I'm here in the studio with Jennifer McNeely, and Jennifer McNeely has exhibited her work in her home of the Pacific Northwest and across the country for over 25 years in both solo and group exhibitions. As a process-based artist, she relies on the materials to inform her work. This unique approach and her prolific pace has earned her accolades, including the Artist Trust Gap Grant Portable Works Program and inclusion in private collections and publications, including a documentary series on BBC. Jen and I went to college together at Cornish College of the Arts in the art department. We sort of went out our separate ways after college, but last year she reached out to me to be an artist in her Supperfield Museum of Contemporary Art in Seattle, where she currently lives. During one of our conversations leading up to the show, I think she said something to the effect that she has so many talents, she doesn't know why she isn't rich. (laughs) And I said, I totally related to the feeling of being underappreciated and underpaid as a Renaissance woman. So I had to bring her on the podcast to chat with me about just that thing, being a broke ass Renaissance woman. Welcome, Jen. Let's just talk about that. And uh, to start off, I would like to ask you, what are all of your talents? There's so many, really. (laughs) I think, you know, the thing I seriously think that's different about me is that I have a really good communication between my left brain and my right brain. Mm -hmm. I'm ambidextrous. And so I can think creatively and logically. And so that that is probably my biggest skill, but that leads me to I'm not only an artist, I went to school for business and got an MBA. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And worked in finance for a long time. So I'm really good with like practical stuff. In fact, when I was little, I would ask my dad to bring home forms from work so I could fill them out. <laughs> he brought me like forms and pens and just like writing my name and address. Like I hate that now, but I used to love that doing like some, you know, administrative work. I was really good. In fact, in college, Greg Skinner was like, you know, you really should go into administration. You're just so good at it. I was like, what? I want to do that. And Greg Skinner, Skinner is who? He was the Dean of Art at Cornish. Hilarious that he thought I should do that. I was like, yeah, I could, but I want to make art. So I think my, my biggest skills are that I'm really creative, but I also have a practical side so I can sort of facilitate creative ventures or can make a plan to see them to fruition, which is something that I think a lot of artists get tripped up on. So I'm pretty lucky that way. That's probably my biggest skill. And then, yeah, that's probably my biggest skill. Okay. But, and you have many talents. I do have many talents. So (laughs) I I do have many talents. I do a lot of crafts. 
I do beading and clay work and fiber work along with art. So I'm always working on something. I do music, play guitar and sing and write music. Yeah, I do a lot of things. I don't like to garden. I wish I liked to garden. In my mind, I like to garden or cook. I wish I could garden and cook, but those things are more like aspirational. But everything else that is creative, I like to do. I dabble in all those things. And and you have a museum. I have a museum. And you're a psychic. Yes, that's true. I forgot. <laughs> oh, yes. and you make hand-dyed clothes. Yes, yes. <laughs> Sorry, I forget. Yeah, I'm a psychic. I work as a psychic and I have my own museum, which is super exciting. I have my own museum. Yeah. That's uh-huh. like everyone's dream. Maybe. It was my dream and now it's my nightmare. <laughs> so how long have you had the Supperfield Museum? Um, the Supperfield Museum came about <clears throat> right before the pandemic. We started building it and it came about because I love miniatures and I have a dollhouse that I would work on and have and post sometimes on Instagram with these stories of the dolls, like the dolls have personalities and drama happening all the time. And at some point I thought I would like to make a museum of artwork and then, or a gallery and then have the characters in there and all this stuff. And so I went and talked to Greg Lundgren, who is such a amazing Seattle person who does all kinds of art things and Asked, and I wanted him to do the idea. I was like, here, I'm super tired. This is my idea. It's really good. And he was like, you should do that idea. And I was like, I can't <laughs> tired. And he said, well, I am looking at getting a space. I can't tell you anything right now, but stay tuned. And if I get that space, I want you to do that project. And he did end up getting this space, which is the Museum of Museums up on Capitol Hill. And he called and said, I'm giving you your museum. And so we started the process of... Um, building it. And we had the architects from MBBJ do a proposal and we selected one. And then we got to the build of it and they were like, yeah, this will be $70,000 to build. And we were like, (laughs) so we took that design and my husband, who is a, who is a designer and also an artist and amazing skilled person, a graphic designer, no, um, an architect. he designs furniture and oh, okay. details and he does art and ceramics and he's just an artist kind of guy, but he makes a living designing furniture. And we have a lot of connections through our business to fabricators and things like that. So he sort of pulled it together and built that museum. It took nine months and it was slowed in the middle of 2020 by all the mm. fabricators shut down and he 3D printed all the stairways and all that stuff. And we worked on it. And eventually we opened in 2020 at the Museum of Museums. And the first show went up and then everything shut down again. (laughs) (laughs) The first show was up for like a year. So we're going on our third year now and probably three shows a year for the last two years. And so it's like the seventh or eighth show. It's more of an exhibition season because there's multiple shows in each season. So like I have five gallery spaces. So there's usually four different artists or you know, or one big group show. That is just such a fun concept. And I remember in college that you used to watch television and you were always just busy doing some sort of handwork when you were watching television. I still do that. (laughs) And they were usually these soft sculptures. Yeah. And it seems like you're still doing those, but then they also morphed into the miniature 
dolls. And when yeah. I was in the show, I didn't know till a little bit later that you are actually going to be making a caricature <laughs> doll for each participant in the show. Yes. yes. Like inspired by their personalities. <laughs> so yeah. Big. So the artists that are in the show get to develop an avatar character. My avatar character is Margaret Supperfield and she runs the museum. And so I have a doll and then each artist gets a doll and then they um, create like a bio or an alter ego. And then I create the doll based on that. And then there's sort of always drama happening. Usually it doesn't involve the artist too much. They're more like characters in the ongoing scene right now. There's an unsolved murder for hire. It's been dragging on for the last eight months. I didn't know about that. Yeah. It's interesting because it's sort of like a soap opera. There's an overreaching storyline that is a longer term storyline that has the main characters. And then there's shorter term storylines that usually have to do with the news. When there were protests at one of the museums because the patrons were involved in something nefarious. I put that into the museum. So there was a protest at the museum and somebody ripped the plaque off of one of the galleries and was arrested. That was very dramatic. Wow. Things like that, that happen periodically. And so it's fun because people can follow the museum on multiple levels. Like they can just follow it on Instagram and be like, oh, that's fun. But there are some people, not a lot, but there's a small group of people that follow religiously the storyline. Okay, so our listeners can potentially follow the storyline too. Is there any interactivity that happens? No, not at this time. Part of that is for safety. Like we have had a couple thefts, like real oh. theft at the museum. So I don't want people to get too excited because <laughs> sometimes that interacts. But it really is like you can go back to the beginning and you sort of can learn about the characters who were on the board. There's a board of directors there's the Supperfield family, which is a total train wreck. And there's history there. So it's usually told by the post. And then there's hints in the hashtags of like things to come or stuff like that. So it's sort of a meta layered approach to the story that people can engage in on any level or just enjoy it because it's super fun with, you know, miniature art. Yes. And I had a ton of fun being involved in that because I was kind of transitioning from doing painterly things with my, because I'd always been a painter from doing painterly things to wanting to do something more conceptual. Mm -hmm. And you didn't push me away and said, say, yeah. no, I really just want you to make a painting. You're open to me yeah. doing something more conceptual. And my art for the museum ended up just being a QR code to direct people to my website that had a page on it for my project, which was run the uterus. Yeah. Which was so fun because people did it and then they could come in the museum and then collect their pin. And it just, it did create that kind of interactivity that I think is super fun. Yes. Yes. And that's something that I never really let myself do in the past before creating a project that was interactive and really made people think about certain topics in life while they were also physically doing something like running. So yeah. that was really fun for me. And so I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to participate in the Supperfield Museum. It's so fun. Yeah. It, I mean, I'm figuring out now how we're going to do video. 
There's somebody that yeah. wants to do a video piece. It's an ongoing, it's a learning curve all the time there, I think. Mm-hmm. Which is great. It's always like evolving into something yeah. different. So of your artistic practices, of which you have many, what are you the most proud of? Is there any one thing? I mean, I'm most proud of my artwork. I'm proud of different things for different reasons. Like I'm proud that I have made work consistently for so long and I'm still showing and I'm still working my own work. And that's been really important to me. How many years has it been? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I started showing when I was still in school. Right. So and you graduated in 95. 96. Okay. Yeah. And I'm in a show right now. So that's a long time. Is that 30 years or 25, 25 to 30 years, something like that? Yep. Yeah. I try to show, I like to be in a group show at least every year. And I'm working right now on gearing towards a solo show. So I'm kind of getting my studio cleaned out to start on that. I just need to keep working. So it's just important to me to do that. But I also am proud of myself that I I am always learning new skills. Like I just took a leather working class not too long ago. I started working on music like four years ago. I think of it like continuing education credits. Like if you were a teacher or something, like if you're an artist, you need to keep learning new creative skills because your expansion feeds your primary outlet. Yeah. Some people wouldn't consider themselves being particularly creative. But for you, it, you've really created a lifestyle out of your creativity. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just part of who I am. I can't imagine. When people say that to me, like, oh, I'm not very creative. I'm like, you are. People are. They everybody are. Is. Yes, everybody is. It's just you have, like, I have one child who, so I'm married to an artist and their family is full of artists, all artists. My family wasn't necessarily like that, but their family is all artists and I have one child who doesn't really do so many creative things. And I think that's hard for them because they don't want to try something because everywhere they look, they've got, oh, somebody does that professionally in the family. There's a tattoo artist. There's a painter. There's a sculptor. Yeah, there's there's competition. So they find, right. want to so find their niche. Right. That makes me sad because everybody is so innately creative and it's so important this is like breathing, you know, like for me, I'm not super good naturally at music. I'm not like you who is just like, you just open your face and sing, you know what I mean? <laughs> Sound really good. And just, or some people that can just like sit down and pick out something. Yes. That's my son. Okay. 100%. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. Yeah. Like there's people like that where you're just like, what the fuck? Like, I am not like that at all. I have to work. I practice every day and still I'm like, ah, oh, it's so frustrating, but it's satisfying. But I can't, and I don't, I try not to compare myself to people that are like naturally good at it because it's, it's not helpful for me. I'm just trying to get better, you know, for myself. Yes. Yeah. Um, and some things, I feel like when you're a creative, some things are just for yourself and some yeah. things you feel confident enough to put out into the world. Yeah. You don't have to share everything. No, you don't have to share. Everything. You, you really shouldn't. <laughs> you really shouldn't share everything. <laughs> so, you know. This episode is about being a Renaissance woman that's broke, being a broke ass yes. Renaissance woman. Yes. And you fo had a follow up text with me saying, well, I'm really not broke. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually broke. pretty successful. Yeah. So, but you know, as far as creativity goes and people who are creative, 
I feel like they should have more opportunities to make yes. more money and to be appreciated more. So like if you mm -hmm. like looking at your history as an artist, you would probably be a millionaire if you were I would getting be, paid. Sure. Yeah, I don't get paid. That's not how I make my money, but it's true. I don't even actually try to make money like that anymore. I did for a while, but I always knew. Like, here's the thing, right? We live in a capitalist society that doesn't give a shit about artists. For real. Yes. Like, for yes. real, it's not even It's not even like they care a little. They don't care. And, you know, when I was in college the first time, that was really apparent to me. Because I also worked at a gallery. I worked at a mm -hmm. retail gallery. And it was just really obvious how underrepresented, how things were. Kind of, it made a lot of sense to me. So I just right away was like, well, I'm not going to bother trying to make money doing that. I better find a good skill I can make money at because I don't want to be poor because <laughs> I grew up right. in a economically challenged situation and I didn't want to, that's super unfun all through college. It was a struggle, you know, trying to like eating rice for two weeks or whatever. I mean, I don't want to like to use the word or biscuits. Poor. Yes. Biscuits. <laughs> yeah. Something I can make. And just, it was always, I don't, nobody wants to live like that. So I early was trying to plot and plan of like how I could avoid that. So I did focus on some administrative skills and like I said, finance skills that were marketable. But yeah, I would certainly be super rich if I was paid for my skills, but gosh, there's lots of people that aren't paid for their skills. That's not the world we live in. Yeah, but just thinking about the society and the underappreciation for creativity, oh. like I feel like creativity yeah. can be applied in so many different ways. It can yeah. be applied in the way cities are planned, for example. Yes. Yes. It can be applied in the way cities are dealing with the homeless situation right now. Yeah. If they had tasked and put money aside, I feel like, for creatives to come up with a way to help the homeless people. I mean, because we have encampments everywhere now in Portland. Yeah. I just look out yeah. my window and there are like two or three. Yeah. Right, right there. Like if they put creative minds to work. Yeah. With something to help these people and also make something that, you know, it's a livable space for them that is also attractive in the community, giving the people confidence the where they live and giving people in the city that are, you know, hoping that they can have these places integrated, have them feeling safe about the design of whatever that ends up looking like. I just feel like there are so many missed opportunities yeah. for using yeah. creatives to fix things. Yeah, it's true. Creative people can, like, I think that's why one of the best skills you learn in art school is how to think differently about a problem. And artists think differently about problems and are used to sort of going out to the edges of your mind and asking like an impossible question and then coming back. And that's just sort of how your brain works. And yeah, that skill is super needed in everything but it's not profitable. It could be profitable. And I'll tell you that artists that work in any kind of industry, they're usually, if they're doing more than just getting their paycheck, if they're working, you know, they're the most valuable employees for sure. And the ones- Are you talking about graphic there. designers? I'm talking about artists that work in a different industry to make money. Like when I worked in finance or like when you have a job, yes, in graphic design, like somebody that is an artist- is going to bring so much more to the company than somebody who isn't because they have this additional like sense of problem solving mm -hmm. that, that regular people don't have. 
or they could have, but they don't develop it. It's not developed. And I think there's been an increase lately in all these big companies like around here, like Microsoft and stuff like that, bringing artists in, like doing workshops and stuff about, they had a songwriter come in to Microsoft and do like, here's a songwriting practice that was real basic, but that just kind of got people out of their thing. But I think the problem still is that it's, nobody cares. Like, I hate saying that, but it's true. Clearly people are interested in solving the homelessness crisis on a big enough scale, because if they were, it would be solved. Mm-hmm. Because if yeah. people really cared that much, if there was, if it wasn't about money and the patriarchy and white supremacy, <laughs> then right. it would be solved. But that is what it's about. And so you could put all the artists in there, but the powers that be are not interested in solving it. Not enough. Not right. Enough. And people, ah, we're all tired. People are tired. <laughs> Yeah, people are tired, but they also need to get energized and yeah. find ways to get energized because, yeah. I mean, the earth is on fire. Basically. The earth is on fire, but we will die before the earth. I mean, I feel like that. I feel like the earth will kill us and then it'll laugh at us. <laughs> we will be dead. The earth will That's be That's true. Yeah. Yes, the earth will true. regenerate. It's really, we're killing ourselves, so... So let's just talk about the patriarchy for a moment here. Yeah. Let's. <laughs> do you feel like, I mean, maybe this hasn't affected your career, but do you feel like there are ways in your career as an artist, in the finance industry that you've been affected or just in general? Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think that now, like, it's interesting now as an older fiber artist or somebody who works in the the genre that I work in seeing artists now that are in their twenties and thirties, you know, doing work and they don't have any kind of resistance to the work that, like that I had when I started making work, nobody really wanted to show my work. Um, people weren't really interested in showing it commercially. It's still not super popular commercially. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about the soft sculptures or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That I definitely think that was just not subject matter that people wanted to see. But now, like, there's the show I'm in right now at the Museum of Museums. It's called Soft Touch. And there's a ton of fiber artists in there. And it's it's all over. Like, it's very popular now. It's like its own genre. Like, it was in the 70s, too. There was a movement in the 70s. But I kind of felt right in the middle of those. So that didn't work out so great for me that that's what I was doing at that time. So I, when I think about your artwork, I think about Louise Bourgeois. Yeah. And she, you know, she was doing artwork. When was that? I don't know. 50s? 60s, 70s? 50s, well, 70s? I don't know. 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s? Yeah. When did she die? Early 2000s? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I don't know either. But I saw her show at the Guggenheim in New York mm, when I was doing a residency in yeah. Wilton, Connecticut in, I don't know, when was that? Like 2009, 2009. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a retrospective mm-hmm. of her work. And I was just impressed by the scale of her work and the installation and stuff. How much, and how much. How much. It, yeah. And, and also that it was very cerebral as, mm-hmm. as well as tactile. Yes. And she was dealing with feminist issues yeah i feel like there have been women in art history that have really been like 
forerunners who've been setting it up for other women to follow in their footsteps, but they're few and far between because yeah. back then, and I don't know about now because I've kind of stepped out of it, but it's male dominated, like many things, male yeah, dominated. It's- yeah, you know, gallery owners, male museum, yeah. you know, yeah. people who run the museums, curators, and yeah. nobody's really interested. I mean, that's true. I just saw this thing. Um, I can't remember the artist's name or anything, of course, but she was just talking about how the majority of artists of all types make work that's never seen or heard or read. The majority of us. Yeah. And that's what I've been feeling for a long time is I think in my 20s when I was first starting out, I was like, okay, I'm going to try to get a gallery. Cause that's what you did in the nineties. You know, you try to get a gallery and then you do a museum and this is the thing. And I very quickly met with resistance on like, oh, my work. And then I, oh, my work doesn't, that's not what my work is about. Like I can't, it's not commercially viable uh, at all. <laughs> and so, so I tried museums and museums were also not ready for me. I think now, if I was now, then it would be great, but I wasn't. I just did what I did for a while. And then I was really like, I also don't like the art world. Like, I'm not a super fan of it. Yes. Really gross. I hear that. Mm-hmm. And it's just corporate, just like everything else. It might as right. well be Starbucks or Apple or anything. I mean, really, they, they're they very performative. Like right now, everybody wants young people of color and queer people because that's what's they're being called out for not being inclusive. So everybody wants that mm-hmm. right now. And it's very trendy. And then it'll be something else. And there will right. be no lasting change. There will be no change. I kind of bowed out of that a long time ago and realized that that wasn't how I was going to be happy because it just made me frustrated, angry, and defeated. So I just, I just do my thing, you know? And I think there's just the majority of people are like me, you know, making your work, trying not to make it in a vacuum, trying to find an audience and not worrying so much about that. Because when you really look at what's being shown at the art fairs and the, unless you're super into that, like you really like the art world and you really want to go do all that. Like, it's just, ugh, it's just gross. I don't like it. I, it's yeah. not, some people get into it. I, it really turns me off. Like the thing that I st- stopped liking about that, that fight to, try and get in galleries and follow mm-hmm. that model of yeah you go to art school and then you get in a gallery and then you try to get into more galleries and then you hope yeah. that you get into a museum yeah the thing that wasn't working for me was i got into galleries i had at one point in time i had two different galleries that featured my artwork and were trying to schedule me you know, you have like the annual solo show or biannual solo show, and then you have the group shows. Right. I just didn't want to have to continue making the same thing. It was really boring to me because my mind wanted to experiment and go other places. And when you are in a gallery, they want you to do what they brought you on to do. They're like, well, you're a painter and you paint these, you know, yeah. abstract things. And so that's, we booked you two years from now for the solo show. Yeah. <laughs> and if you don't show up doing those abstract paintings, uh, we don't know what to do with you. Like you just don't fit in. Well, and they also have a specific person that they're looking for because they right. look at their collection of artists and saying, what do we need that we don't have right now? We and then they'll this. bring you in. Yeah. So that yeah. was frustrating. 
And then also I tried doing commission work. And that while there was money in that, it was soul killing. Yeah. You know, just doing artwork that matches somebody's couch, basically. Yeah. And the thing that people who are not artists don't think about is the old model, which really doesn't exist anymore, the gallery thing. But when you look at that in that model, let's say you are represented by the best gallery you can be and you're having a show every two years and you're showing 12 pieces and they're $6,000 a piece, right? Or whatever, mm-hmm. 10,000, even 10,000. You sell all 12 and you get half that. So you get $5,000 times 12, which is, what is that? $60,000 for two years work Yep. before tax. Yep. So that's like $40,000 that you've made over two years. Right. And you have to deduct the cost of framing, of your art materials, of any assistance that you had to have them photographed or anything like that. Any artist that is making their living solely on art has a combination of gallery sales, commissions, teaching workshops, teaching Mm -hmm. art, applying for grants, which is a full-time job, all kinds of bullshit. I don't want to do any of the bullshit. I just want to make my work. Because I worked in the gallery too, and at an arts organization, I just saw like, even this artist I would at the time in my 20s would have looked at and said, they're successful. They weren't successful. No, no. Okay. They so didn't have money, like, I mean, to me, it's that's not successful, but I was looking to, I want to have enough, like my definition of success is financially, I'm going in the store. And I'm just buying whatever food I want. I'm not mm-hmm. looking at prices. If I want avocado, I'm buying it. Like that Even to if it's me, $5 each. Right. I'm like, that's rich. <laughs> like to me, that's rich. And I'm like, I want to get there where I can just buy my groceries without going, okay, how long will this bread last me? <laughs> you know? And I saw them struggling the same way I, as a student was struggling. Yep. It quickly was apparent. Like that's no way to make your living and and again, it's like the NBA. There's what percentage of people that are really gifted and talented make it into those high level positions where it's it's you know it's that if you're going for that, it's like a tiny tiny percent. So there's bazillions of artists who are better than you, younger than you, well better connected than you, you know, have more finances backing them, probably rich parents and whatnot. Yeah. Than you. Yeah. I'm trying to do the same thing. So it just was really quickly, obviously, a losing idea for me. If money was no object, what would your life look differently now? Would there be a creative endeavor that you would just go in 100%? Mm, If money was no object, I would definitely... What would your life look like? What would my life look like? Well, money isn't my biggest problem right now. Okay. My biggest problem is my responsibilities that I have okay. right now. My biggest problem. Like I have two teenagers and like a hundred animals and my dad that I'm taking care of. So they are my biggest problem because I would happily live in a hut and make things. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I don't care. But But yes, if money was no object, I guess I would expand my house so I could have a much larger studio because my studio is literally eight feet by like, or no, 10 feet by 12. It's very small. I would love a bigger studio. Yeah. I spend, I mean, most of the time that I want to be making art, I'm caretaking. 
Okay. I can't can't outsource teenagers that I know of. We'll work on that. (laughs) I mean, my dad is, he's in a place that, you know, takes care of him most of the time. So I've outsourced what I can. I also would like chickens. Chickens. (laughs) If I I had a lot of money, I would hire a helper. And also I would, I would have somebody build me like a raccoon free coyote free chicken house. Like a chicken palace. Yes. And I would probably hire an animal helper and maybe I would hire a cleaner. So now that I'm getting into this idea, yes. And a cook. Yes. I was thinking that you needed to think bigger, to dream bigger. And so I think you're on the, uh, on the right track right now. Yeah. I need outsourcing. I would like a bigger area in which to have all my, okay, now I'm going to buy the house behind me. That's my plan now. There you go. Yes. And I'm going to build so then I can just have all my things over there and then get some real serious help with all my duties and things. So I can yeah. just, that's my biggest problem is time. Yes. My materials are not expensive. I don't want to do very big things. I really like working on things I can make with my hands. I might get a bigger TV. I'm pretty simple. I'm pretty <laughs> simple. Yeah. Just, just the chicken mansion. Yeah. And- chicken mansion. <laughs> And a chicken, a chicken nanny, because they're difficult. Exactly. They're like little chicken children. They, they need, have individual personalities. And they yes, really and they get things. sick a lot. So you need somebody who knows about chickens. That's what I'd like, a chicken nanny. <laughs> so what, moving on from the chicken nanny. Okay. What would your friends or family say are your most badass qualities? Well, this was recently said about me. My daughter's best friend said that she's very impressed how I can run the whole house from the couch, my phone. And that's true. I am a world-class multitasker. I can handle my dad's medication appointments for everybody, order the groceries while making something and watching Murder, She Wrote. I'm like, that is ordered. You know, that is taken care of. So I'm really good at multitasking. I think my other badass quality is I'm super resilient, really resilient. And I'm optimistic. I always feel kind of, I don't always feel hopeful, but a lot of times I feel hopeful. Like, okay, well, this probably is as bad as it can get. (laughs) You know, like when something's bad, okay, this is probably the worst. So now I would expect that things would turn around. Is usually my thought process. Multitasker wise, would you say that you're the lady who can? I can bring home the bacon yes. right yes. up in the pan. Yes. I never, never, never let you forget your romance because I'm a woman. Yes, that is Jen definitely McNeely. See, you can totally just open your face and sing. Yes, that is probably my most badass quality, honestly, that I'm really good at doing multiple things at one time. And it's one of those things that women are just expected to do. Yeah, especially really like good yeah. multitaskers. And you have yeah. to. You have to if you're going to be an to. artist and a mom yeah. and do anything else at all. You have to develop that skill. So are you your own passion project? I kind of think that you are. Yeah. Yeah, I am. I think, I mean, I feel that that's pretty integral to my my life, like, I feel so settled in this lifestyle. Like you said, I can't imagine doing something else. And I really wouldn't, I can't accept it. Yes. And I, I think won't that accept it. 
part of that is giving yourself permission and you are one of the women who's given yourself permission to say, yeah. I yes, I have all of these responsibilities and I am worth taking the time to do the things that I love for yeah. to give give myself the life that I want. Yeah. Yeah, because what's the other, what else are you gonna do? Like people will take and take and take. And I just had, oh my gosh, my favorite pastor the other day said this to me. We were talking about something and he always says, can I throw a little scripture at you? And I was like, oh, okay, go ahead. <laughs> and he said, there was this man, I'm going to shorten it. He found this demon in his house. And when he came home, he found the demon in his house. And he's like, oh my God. So I cleaned everything and he got the demon out of there and then he left. And then he went away and he came back and there were nine demons in there. And he said to me, the pastor said, so you've gotten rid of this thing. What are you going to replace it with? Because if you don't fill up the space, that's where the demons come in. And it's really true of caretaking of like, you can spend a lot of time trying to let go of something or let go of a belief, right? Or let go of an obligation or let go of a self-fulfilling, defeating thought or something. But if you don't put something in its place, you just create a vacuum and that's when the demons get in. And that was really helpful because it really helped me see like, oh, I really do try to fill my space even on a busy day or on things when things are like a lot happening. I try to like, I practice my guitar. You know, I do like 20 minutes of practice. I try to work on something a couple of times a week, have a project I'm working on. Because without that, yes, you will be absorbed. You'll be absorbed by society, your family by neediness all around you. Yes. And in betrayal trauma world, which is where I am right now. Yes. A recovering betrayal trauma survivor. They talk about the self-care sandwich. Mm. And so it sounds like you are, and everyone does this or tries to, wishes they could even, and doesn't know about it because they don't know the term or whatever, but when you have hard things to do, challenges like having to, from the couch, run the house. <laughs> that is when you give yourself the self-care sandwich. You say, yeah. I'm going to sit on the couch and while I'm running this stuff, I get to um, eat this delicious thing that I cooked or right. I get to sit here and make this little soft sculpture. Yeah or whatever it is, sit and play your guitar. Those are little treats yeah. for yourself where you're kind of yeah. pampering yourself and taking a deep breath. Yeah, because you can't just deal with your trauma all the time or feel your feelings all the time. And you also don't want to numb out all the time. No, it's, really a balance. it's not, not healthy. No, and I think that's important what you said there about with the self-care sandwich, which I love sandwiches, but also <laughs> I love sandwiches. But- that people think of self-care as like, you know, a pedicure or shopping or so, which it can be. But for me, self-care is much more serious in the way of like, I need to work on my things. I need my project. I need to practice. I need to do something for my creative self. Yeah. Seriously, because I will be mentally unstable. I will get sick. I will have a breakdown. I will like, mm -hmm. it's not a joke here. <laughs> like it needs to happen or I'm not functioning. 
Well, yeah. And really, that's how you refuel yourself. Yes. That's yeah, the, and, and everyone has their own right. self-care needs. And people who are creative tend to be creative about their self-care needs. Yeah. So you're looking outside of, oh, it means I get a manicure, which, yeah. you know, and things like I think a lot of women think self-care is being selfish, but it's not. Yeah. No. It's you refueling yourself so you yeah. can take on all of the things that you have to do every yeah. day, every week. Yeah. And sometimes it is just having a delicious actual sandwich and watching a show with not having people interrupt you. And sometimes it's like, yeah, I'm not cooking dinner. Like I'm watching right. this show that none of you are interested in with my sandwich I made for myself and y'all can fuck off. Yeah, like, you can. That's, that's really Spend important. for yourself night. Yes. It's super important in caretaking because especially when you're efficient, I'm efficient and I can do a lot of things. Thing I join or be involved in slowly, like those things will creep towards me, like those asks because, oh, I can just do that. It's real easy. I've got, you know, I'm, I'm able to do something quickly and easily and add it to my pile and add it to my pile and mm -hmm. add it to my pile. But that's something I have to constantly work on to not do that, even though it's easy for me. Right. And that's one of the, another yeah. one of the problems that women have is saying no, giving yes. yourself permission to say no. And in workplaces, that is absolutely taken advantage of with the workload. Yeah. They're like, well, she's not saying she can't do it. So I'm just going right. to load this on. Oh, and right. so and so quit. So I'm just right. going to have her do that, their job too, because she, yeah. she can. And she's not saying she can't. Right. And they're people pleasing and you want to do a good job and you, you want to do a good job. Yep. Right. All that because stuff. The patriarchy, you're overlooked. So you're trying to make up for it with working harder, which doesn't And work. not complaining. Don't not complain. Complaining. Yeah. Because right. that's what women do. We complain. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to be us. It is hard to be us. Yeah. We've got to pull up our panties and, and yeah. move on, as one of my friends used to say. What do you wish you could tell yourself, your young self, if you could go back in time? Oh my gosh, save money. Go save money. Well, I'll save more money. And why are you giving such a shit? <laughs> like, quit giving a shit about what people think and about what size your pants are. And like, I mean, what you're eating too. Like, oh my God, what a waste of time that is. For me, just worrying about all that, like what you look like, what you're, you know, that whole am I fuckable uh -huh. thing that happens to women in their 20s that is so distracting, um, which is why I was so mad. Side note about Don Lemon saying women aren't in their prime when they're in their 50s. Who, oh, just, I don't know about this. Anyway, yeah, he just said this. He was on CNN and it's a big thing happening. And wow, I was like, what the fuck? Like he said, they're in their prime in their 20s, 30, maybe 40s. I'm like, oh my God, that's not true oh. because <laughs> you're in your 20s and 30s for me anyway. I had to battle my own self all the time, my brain and the conditioning constantly battling that. And I don't have to battle that anymore. And that is, that's why I can be in my prime now because I'm not fighting with the external forces of society telling me I'm in my prime in my twenties or thirty. Right. Yeah. Which is not true. You're in your prime like all the time because that's where you are. <laughs> like first of all. <laughs> and second of all, like women really can once they get to an age where they're not being subjected constantly about their looks and if they're sexually available or not, once they get past that point by age or by looks or by whatever, 
or life circumstance, then you're really free in a way that you're not free before that. That's unfortunate, but that's true. I think, I think that once you can just go out in the world without having that put on you anytime you're outside, it's such a blessing. I would tell myself, I don't know what I could have done about that except for save more money and please don't care as much. It really doesn't matter. And break up with him sooner. Ah, yes. <laughs> you don't need to be yes. in that relationship. Oh my gosh. <laughs> in that relationship. You're fine just the way you are. Like I would say that. Like, wow. I also think I should have worn way more slutty clothes. I saw your post recently you saying yeah, that. Yeah, I was like, oh my God. If I would have known, like <laughs> I look so good, I would have been way more slutty too. Just just for funsies without taking it yeah. so seriously. Yeah. But saving money, not spending on silly things. That's good. That's a good yeah. practical thing that yeah. looking back, you could have told yourself. I probably tell myself now to shut up because I didn't want to hear all that advice, but. <laughs> yeah, right. I know everything. Is there anything coming up for you? that you would like to plug? Is there anything you'd like yeah, to share? Show, Some projects? Yes. The show that's up right now at Museum of Museums, the soft touch show is really amazing. I have four pieces in that, but the whole thing is really fun. And there's a lot of interactive pieces, not mine. Please don't touch my work, <laughs> but there are peoples that you can touch and it's labeled. There's real interactive soft sculpture in there, which is fun. And that's also where my museum resides is inside the museum of museums in a different gallery. So that's always fun. And then please follow my Instagram page for the museum, which is at SMICA Seattle, which is at S-M-C-A Seattle. Lovely. And the museum is on, in Pill Hill. Yeah. In Capital or in Yeah, right off Seattle. 900 Boylston. In an old Swedish Yeah. Yeah. It's a very cute building. And honestly, like what I think one of the most interesting museums around, really you know, being in Portland, we've got nothing. We have yeah. Portland Art Museum, total yeah. bunk. Don't even waste your time. It's, it's an independent museum, which is great. It's not a nonprofit. Uh, it might actually be, I don't know if he's a nonprofit, but it's, um, it's an independent museum. So it's not relying on big funding from anybody. So they really get to show what they want and it's really fun there. And I love it. I've, yeah, I've been there a couple of times now and it's always interesting, mm -hmm. which you, once again, go back to Portland Art Museum, nothing, <laughs> nothing like challenging going on there. No, they're really. And, and the world needs to have more challenges. People, creative challenges, yeah, making you expand your mind in a variety of ways. I agree. So thank you so much for being on my podcast. I really appreciate having the opportunity to chat with you about all of these things. And Super I can't fun. wait to see your show and okay. to visit you again sometime. Yes. And maybe you'll come I down to it. Portland and yes, be my, my tiny little two-bedroom apartment I that I now it. live in. Yeah. With my husband, Noah, and our cat, Mr. Whiskers, all oh, squeezed fun. in. <laughs> and we can think of solutions to solve the world together. Yes. Or at least design chicken mansions. Yes. I would love that. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of I Am My Passion Project. New episodes drop every Friday. If you enjoyed this content, please consider sharing with a friend or two or more, or leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Until next time, I hope you're able to move through your week, speaking your own truth and embracing your badass self. I am a passion project.